was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello and welcome. This is The Wind Was a Beginning, a podcast about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. This is Season 3, Episode 11. We're not using the training wheels. Thank you for being with us again this week. Justin and Stephen here. Stephen, are you ready to talk more Wheel of Time? I am ready. I'm always ready to jump back in here. That is great. Uh, Always look forward to being with you, my friend, and enjoying this time together and uh, you explaining everything to me that I don't understand. (laughs) So, uh, so thankful for for that. Um, you know, we've got a, uh, a big uh, milestone coming up later uh, this season, just a few episodes away. Steven, you want to tell the people what's what's coming up in a few weeks? Uh, so in a few weeks, we will be releasing our 50th episode. Uh, I cannot. It'll actually... I cannot believe that's happening. <laughs> I know, right? 50 episodes in. I, you know, this, this seemed like a fun idea when it started. I, I didn't know how far we would get, and here we are. Uh, 50 episodes with many more to go. So I'm excited yeah. about that. Um, in, in, in connection with that 50th episode, a little celebration, and uh, uh, we want to um, give back to you, our listeners who have been with us, uh, through 50 episodes. Maybe you haven't been here the whole time, but we won't hold that against you. Uh, we still love you just the same. But we're going to have a little contest here and uh, give away something from uh, from us. We're going to buy it. We're going to pay for it. And we're going to send it to you. We're going to give you a uh, Wheel of Time coffee mug that uh, I think will be pretty cool and that you enjoy. And also some coffee to go along with it from a... Uh, a uh, small roaster that I like to use called Big Kick Coffee. Uh, they're out of Charleston, South Carolina, which is where um, Robert Jordan lived when he was uh, writing uh, some of these books. So, um, yeah, just thought that would be fun for y'all. So here's what you got to do to enter. First of all, you need to be following us on social media and find the post that is announcing this episode. It'll be saying, you know, Season 3, Episode 11 is now available. Go and listen to it, whatever. Uh, So like that post. Leave a comment on that post that says, I would like to share a cup of calf, K-A-F, with, and then tell us a character from the story so far. And then we want you to do one other thing for us. Share this post uh, by tagging your friends or retweeting it, sharing it on Facebook, whatever uh, you do wherever you enter. Uh, entries, you, you can enter once per post, okay? So don't spam us with comments. We won't, uh, we won't count it if you start spamming us with content. You can enter, uh, enter once per post, and entries must be in by February 17th. That will give us time to 
um, go through all the names and pick a winner and then make that announcement when we record our 50th episode, which will be season three, episode 15, and will be released on March 7th of 2023. Did I cover it all, Stephen? I think so. It sounds good. And I look forward to lots of people entering and uh, being able to give this away to one of our lovely, lovely listeners. Quick question. Are we eligible to enter? Unfortunately, no. Oh, that's a bummer. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I'll get my own coffee um, anyway. So uh, I was going to probably order some anyway. All right. <laughs> uh, Stephen, what are we discussing on this week's episode? All right, so tonight we're going to cover chapters 26 through 28. So listeners, if you have not read those yet, please pause us, go read, and come back. We will be here waiting on you. Uh, But for everybody who has read and is ready to go, we are here to talk. I I would hope you've at least read chapter 26 because that was supposed to be done last week. Uh, but we spent <laughs> so much time in the two chapters that we covered. Had a lot of fun, by the way. Loved it. Um, we didn't quite get to chapter 26, so we're going to make that up this week. And if you're ready, I'm ready to dive right into it. Are we ready? I'm ready to go. Let's go. Chapter 26, Behind a Lock. Following the disappearance of Els and the mysterious stranger, Egwene searches nearby rooms before being joined by Nynaeve and Elaine. Together, they head to the library basements to search for the belongings that were left behind by the Black Aja. Most of what they find seems useless, but each collection contains something that points in one direction. Tear. Is it a trap? A diversion? Misdirection? We don't know, but perhaps time in the world of dreams will give us an answer. Uh, so this this really picks up right where the last chapter left off with the sudden disappearance of the mysterious stranger who Egwene does not know, but we know is none other than Lanfear, one of the Forsaken. Um, so and and just like that, she was gone. Uh, anything we need to say about? The uh, the quick little search that Egwene does before they head down to the basements. I mean, I think we we covered that pretty well in the last episode. Uh, I don't know that there's much too much to add here. Yeah, well, I mean, she she searches a couple of close by rooms yeah. before you know uh, Nynaeve and Elaine show up, but uh, I don't guess there's much there. The the rooms are empty. Uh, dust on everything, little uh, mouse footprints <laughs> going through the dust. But yeah, other than that, I guess um, we'll go ahead and get straight to the basements. And I, I want to, one thing that I wanted to bring up was that, uh, at least to me, it seemed like throughout this chapter, we saw evidence of Egwene's power growing. Uh, just so many little things that that are brought to light as they're making their way down to the basements and then getting ready to search the belongings. Things like you know just the ease at which she embraces Sidar. You know it comes without any struggle whatsoever. There's even this moment um, 
I think it's after they've kind of gotten down into those tunnels or, or basements or whatever you want to call them. Um, she, she, she channels this, um, this ball of light. And then because, you know, she's a little bit on edge, you know, she's nervous, uh, kind of, you know, wondering, could there be a trap set for them already? Uh, she starts channeling or preparing to channel, uh, a lightning bolt just in case yeah. and realizes, Hey, I'm getting ready to channel two flows at once. Something she had never done before. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then her, her little trick with the, uh, the lock and the, the chain when they finally find the room that they're looking for. I think that's a development. The thing is, is so many of these things she's doing, she doesn't really know how she's doing them. Yeah. That's what, that's what throws her off. And then, um, Elaine is watching her and Elaine figures out what Egwene was doing. And then Egwene watches Elaine and now she knows how, how it works. So is there anything to, uh, anything I'm missing? Anything that might be significant about what's going on other than, you know, her power is clearly growing. Um, yeah. I just that I guess what's really interesting is that whole thing where she doesn't really know how she's doing some of these things until she sees Elaine do them. But the only reason Elaine knew is because she watched Egwene do it. Yeah, it's all kinds of wibbly and wobbly, twisted and weird. Yeah, um, I think I think there's a couple of different things that are in play here. Um, one. Egwene's abilities have been forced to accelerate past what they would have done had she stayed in the tower. Uh, the tower's method is to take things slow, to gradually build to things, not to push because they don't want to burn them out. Right. What has happened to Egwene is she spent all those months captive with the Shan and they were all about pushing her to do as much as possible, as quickly as possible. So right. it has artificially accelerated her abilities. Uh, and she is not, she is basically a parallel right now to what we see happening with Rand. Basically he needs to do a thing. And so he is figuring out how to do it just by pure instinct subconsciously. Yeah. And I had actually not thought about that, that we have been seeing that very same thing from Rand. Um, yeah, him doing things without really knowing how, which is dangerous. Um, Very. <laughs> uh, and I think, you know, when we think about Rand, I think we recognize the danger. I, I did not really think about the danger uh, of what Egwene uh, could potentially be doing. And so it's yeah. almost like they're just, um, you know, kind of just playing around with threads and seeing what happens, not really knowing how it's yeah. going to turn out until it happens. Yeah. And I think that is something that is distinct. It, it, this whole section right here really shows the division between Egwene and Elaine and Nynaeve, uh, because Nynaeve is vastly more powerful. Sure. But she's only able to channel when she's angry. Yes. And to a degree, she can't even always see, 
the f- weaves and the flows that others are doing if she's not at least mildly angry. Angry. Hmm. So whereas they the girls are basically just experimenting and learning, Nynaeve is only having the ability and the chance to learn how to do a thing by either seeing it done, which she does have the ability, apparently that almost eidetic memory for weaves, which is outstanding. But because she's only channeling when she's angry, she's not naturally taking hold of the power like they are, and she's not experimenting like they are. So she's being held back in that degree. She's She knows how to do a certain number of things, but she's not really having a lot of experience with, like, trial and error and things like that like the girls are having. Because the girls, you know, they're just walking down the hallway, embracing Sidar, doing their thing, using it like it's an extension of them. For Nynaeve, it is still very much – it's a tool, but it isn't on the same familiarity as the girls are. Right. And – uh, you know, it's it is very dangerous the route that Egwene is going because that's exactly the thing the Aes Sedai don't want the the novice and the accepted doing is playing around because that's how you end up killing somebody, blowing yourself up, or stealing yourself. Yeah, we don't yeah, want that. To it's happen. also it's also <laughs> a little bit shocking that of all the things. That she could choose to channel the second weave. She's got light. And the thing that pops into her mind isn't, oh, let's have some air ready to wrap somebody in air. Or let's have a fireball ready because she and Moraine do it. No. What does she choose? (laughs) A freaking lightning bolt. Well, why not? Not a a taser. (laughs) A lightning bolt. Well, why not? In in an enclosed hallway. Uh, It'll be fine. (laughs) it'll It'll be perfectly fine. Nobody's oh, going to yeah. get hurt. Yeah, because nope. lightning doesn't conduct or anything like that. I mean, it's just going to go right where she wants it to go. <laughs> yeah, it'll uh, be perfectly fine. Yeah, no no, no worries. No worries. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you, you mentioned Nynaeve, and you, you mentioned that block that she has. And, I, I, you know, she sounds like she really needs to get over that if she's going to grow like she needs to. Um. And I think that's 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 a case to be made, though, that, yeah, this experimentation is dangerous. But, you know, sometimes you got to step out on the limb to, to grow a little bit. Yeah. So there, there's that uh, to think about. Um, oh, no, it's definitely effective. Yeah. <laughs> they are learning. It's just they are taking the dangerous path as opposed to the safe path. Yeah. But it, it might also be why they seem to be maturing so much faster than the rest of the novices and accepted. Because they they basically aren't using the training wheels. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Uh not using the training wheels. Yeah. Uh so so what what did you have next to bring up on on our list? Um well I want to backtrack for a minute. We we kind of sped ahead to getting to the lock, but I want to backtrack and talk about the amount of dust uh, and the location that they're going to, to me, is highly suspicious. Okay, uh, what do you mean? Well, okay, so these items they're going to look at are supposedly the possessions of the 13 Black Aja sisters— 
that have been locked away and they are being sent to go investigate them, you would think that that kind of stuff would be in like a secure area or, you know, a place that is relatively close. Like if so, if the Armorland or one of her other I said I wanted to go inspect it, uh, you would also assume that they'd be stored in a place and then other Aes Sedai would have been coming to inspect it, you know, and to look for clues just like they're doing. And instead, the stuff has all been stuffed off in this, like, secondary basement that they have to go down through an area to get to another area. The hall is literally covered in dust. The only sign that anybody else has ever been down this hall is the fact that there's a couple of footprints that they say are probably from some guardmen or servants so it just it's very strange location and then you have this random one door that has a lock on it i mean yeah, it's there very is. suspiciously located and it's very strange how little the area is disturbed around it like yeah, i you, think they probably kick up more dust getting to this place than that place has ever seen kicked up in the existence of that hallway like <laughs> it it just is very so, odd. I say what what you're saying is there should be more evidence of people moving through this space. Yeah. Okay, and and that evidence is not there. You know, you you mentioned you mentioned security, and and my thought was, well, there is a lock on the door. So. <laughs> yeah. But we see how easy that was to get through. Uh, so yep. how secure is it really? So yeah, and uh, the, see that's the other thing. Like, okay, we're not talking about oh, this is a bunch of you know king's guards or uh, you know regular security that have decided to lock these things up. These are possessions of Dark Aes Sedai that are being yeah. secured by Aes Sedai. You would expect that they would. Okay, every time they even made camp. When they were going with Moraine, what did she do? She put up wards. Correct. Does this room have any wards? Um, I'm going to say no. Yeah. That's <laughs> awfully suspicious, is it not? They're, they're you know basically what? housing evidence in a locked room out in the middle of freaking nowhere. <laughs> and it, 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 it has the appearance of security because there is a lock on the door. But when you consider yeah. who is the one securing things, that seems very trivial. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there should have been more done if this was. Um, are, are you trying to tell me that this is not legit? <laughs> I'm trying to say it is highly suspicious. Okay, all right. Um, well, you know, uh, an argument could be made. I'm gonna play. Uh, I'm gonna play Dark One's av advocate for a moment. Uh, an argument could be made once we get into these packages and see what's in there. That um, it was thought this stuff really wasn't all that worth guarding, because most of it is what like rags and old clothes. We got. Shoes that yeah. are missing their partner with a hole in them. I mean, it, it's trash, right? Essentially. Yeah. Um, except the one item in every bag. 
yeah. that points in a certain direction, which just yeah. pretty much confirms the suspicions, right? Yeah. I mean, it, and, and that alone, like the bags themselves are super suspicious. Okay, we've got a bag full of rags and trash, and then one random pristine item. <laughs> and and well, it's not like... They, they weren't all pristine. But they stand out that, from the trash. They, they do. They do. I, I was thinking about, you know, the, the book that didn't have a cover on it. It wasn't necessarily pristine, but every... Yeah. yeah, you're right in saying, though, that every bag had one thing that stood out. Yeah. Like a, a, some, some parchment or a book or, you know, something something like that. And it's only, you know, it's like, it's almost like the... Uh, you know, the pattern of the the names and all of that that we talked about last week that was mm-hmm. too convenient. Um, here it's, you know, it's one thing in each bag. If it was truly random, you yeah. know, you'd think at least one bag might have more than one item <laughs> that points yeah. in that direction. Uh, so... Yeah. Uh, you know, we're definitely so. Um, but then that raises the question, though. Is it put there to lure someone into coming to tear as a trap? Or because because they, they the, 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 the girls raise this question because it is so obvious is it put there to make somebody think that, you know, kind of that whole reverse psychology thing, yeah. you know, that, um, you know, it's so obvious that, you know, they'll never think of coming to tear, but that's actually the place we're going, but they'll think it's, it's a, it's a plant. It's a ruse. Um, yeah. Misdirection. So that's the, that's the real question. Uh, yeah. that, and that's I guess, the same question that the girls have at the end of the chapter. Yeah, that's pretty much what <laughs> where we leave the chapter is with that question. Which is it? Is it a trap? Uh, is it some kind of misdirection? Or is it somewhere in between? We don't know. But maybe we can find out with a little jaunt into the world of dreams. Um Ooh which I think will take us into the next chapter, if you're ready for that. I am ready. Chapter 27, Teleran Riyadh. After a day's work in the kitchens, Egwene settles down in the night to use the Terang Rial to enter Teleran Riyadh. As Elaine and Nynaeve watch over her, she enters the world of dreams, encountering some familiar faces before finding herself in the Stone of Tear, with, again, a mysterious stranger. She's awakened painfully, and after telling her story, it is decided that the time has come to go on the hunt for the Black Aja outside of the tower. Um, before we get to um, that night, uh, do we need to say anything about uh, their time in the kitchens? Because there is a little bit mentioned about that in the text of the Different Aes Sedai coming in. Um, Varen with an obvious <laughs> um, yeah. goal in mind, but the others maybe a little bit more subtle or maybe not there for them at all. Is there anything? Um, I don't know. Um, 
I don't know that there was anything specific, just the fact that it is, you know, we can just, we just get a scene basically of the, their suspicions continuing. Like they still don't know who to trust or who's doing what for what reasons. And there's just so much suspicion. And Varen doesn't As... help it by just coming out. And, <laughs> like I get that she's an absent-minded brown, but come yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there, there's, there's got to be a limit, Varen. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that night, uh, they decide to use the stone ring to enter the world of dreams. Specifically, Egwene is going to enter the world of dreams. There is this discussion about uh, should one of them go with her. Uh, but they don't know if it'll work uh, yeah. for two. Uh, plus, Egwene has this uh, thought about, uh, you know, having both of them watching over her instead of just one watching over two of them. Yeah, in case and, and something is, happened. Yeah, I think they're all very much on edge of, uh, oh, because yeah. of like the gray man and the black odds are lurking at every corner. Like, and you know, not the, knowing who they can trust. Yeah, so she definitely wants them both there watching over her. And she also has this idea that because she tends to have more of an affinity for Earth, that maybe she'll have a better connection with the Terangriol. Yeah. And maybe her, if she has a latent dreaming ability, maybe it will give her an advantage. And she's yeah. like, you know. The fact that the Black Aja has all of these other Terangriol that were studied by Carrionan that probably have a connection to the world of dreams as well. We might they could be waiting for us there and maybe you know, need any advantage we can have. Yeah. Can I, let me ask you a, a question, and maybe this this is probably just a this is a matter of opinion. Um Do you think there was a part of Egwene that just wanted to try it by herself for the first time? Oh, I'm sure. Like that that wanted the first time to be by herself, yeah, no matter... Especially knowing Egwene? Yeah. Yeah. That, that I, I suits was, her character very much. That that was my question, Is was was a little bit of that naivety that we've seen in her in the past, was it kind of showing up again in that moment? Yeah. Not, not, that, not that the reasons that she gives aren't valid, but I, I think there was that underlying motivation as well. Um, yeah. But let's... Um, Let's go to sleep. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and uh, find ourselves in the world of dreams. You want to, uh, you know, kind of kind of get us started here? Yeah. Um, so it almost is just like waking up in a random place. Like it doesn't feel like that's the interesting thing about the world of dreams here. And yeah. that she is conscious here. She's not dreaming but she's in this dream world, but it doesn't feel like a dream. It feels real. Uh -huh. um, and basically just how she's moving about, how things are going. Uh, you know, she tests out that she's able to channel. Right. Uh, but it's just interesting to me how uh, – and I need to find it in the, in the book. So give me yeah. just a second. Yeah, well uh – there are, I guess, some things that do feel like a dream. For instance, I believe it's brought up that 
you know, at one moment, her, you know, her clothes just suddenly change uh, based on yeah. something that she was like, which is the kind of thing that happens in a dream, right? <laughs> um, that kind of thing happens uh, in, in our dreams uh, many times. So there are definitely dreamlike elements to. Yeah. So to what's I think going the dreamlike elements to me are shown just like you're talking about in the fluidity of things. Right. Like things can change at the drop of a hat. A stray thought can affect, you know, the clothes she's wearing. She thinks about one thing and her clothes change. But at the same time, yeah. it doesn't like it doesn't feel fake. It doesn't feel like a simulation. It doesn't feel like a dream. It feels real. Right. It's just that everything changes so quickly. Yeah. You mentioned you mentioned thought and and um I I had a I had a question just kind of something I was wondering internally as I was reading, you know, um does, you know, a, a, as she's going to sleep, we we have her she's thinking about um different things, different people. Um oh, let me see if I can find it now. <laughs> Um, I know what you're talking about. She's thinking yeah. specifically about Rand and Perrin when she right. falls asleep. And then in once she's in the world of dreams, she runs into both of them. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I definitely think that has an impact. So you think um, that did have something tell, to do with it? Yeah, I can't tell more without spoiling things. So. Yeah. But yeah, I think that definitely has something to do with how she ends up where she's ending up at. Um, right. So, do you want to talk about what she finds when she well arrives at Perrin? Yeah, you know, the world of dreams is such an interesting place, um, and we're just getting started. <laughs> um, yep. So, this happens, you know, it happens just so, so suddenly, it, it's even... You know, after she realizes she can channel, she's thinking to herself about looking around and she takes a step. And suddenly she's standing in the hallway of an inn. And the door to that she's standing in front of the door, it opens. There's a young man who, by description, I think we knew as soon as he was described who it was. Uh, shaggy haired, kind of a larger fellow. And um, well, let me just read it. Uh, the room within was bare, and cold wind moaned through open windows, stirring old ash on the hearth. A big dog lay curled up on the floor, shaggy tail across its nose, between the door and a thick pillar of rough-cut black stone that stood in the middle of the floor. A large, shaggy-haired young man sat leaning back against the pillar in only his small clothes, head lolling as if asleep. A massive black chain ran around the pillar and across his chest, the ends gripped in his clenched hands. Asleep or not, his heavy muscles strained to hold that chain tight to prison himself against the pillar. Uh, and I just realized something <laughs> as I was reading that. But oh, yes? uh, we're, we're, we're meant to understand that what she's seeing from Perrin he's doing to himself. Yes. And I just realized, cause I, I was thinking about 
you know, when we when we run into Rand uh, in just a moment, you know, that was a setting that we're not surprised to find him in because we know he's on the run, right? He's out in the wilderness yeah. by himself. But where's the last place we saw Perrin? In an inn. Worried about the wolf nature taking over. Mm-hmm. And so this is Perrin. I, this, that, that thought just, just hit me that this is Perrin trying to keep the wolf contained. Yep. Now, do you think he's literally got himself chained to a pillar somewhere? <laughs> no, I okay. I think I think Perrin is simply dreaming a normal dream. I think what Egwene is seeing right here is the reality of what Perrin is doing in the world of dreams. Because as we've talked about, okay. Perrin is connected by the wolf dream, just as Egwene is learning to be a dreamer. They both okay. connect to Teleonriad. I think Perrin is probably involved in a dream. He probably thinks he's just sleeping in the inn, something like that. But from the wolf's perspective, and in this case, Egwene's perspective, this is what Perrin is doing to himself. Um, it is a he's basically torturing himself and imprisoning himself. He's he's using the dream to try and keep that part of himself contained. So yeah, like. It's a psychological prison. Yeah. Of sorts. Now, you know, now that that... Now that I realize what's going on, that's actually so heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. Because by all rights, Perrin, a wolf should not be chained up, shouldn't be caged. Perrin himself well, should be free yeah. And yet he is enslaving himself yeah. because he's afraid of himself. I was just thinking that was the very one of the very last things we saw from Perrin was him setting um was it Gnome? Was that the guy's name? Yeah. Uh setting him free because a wolf shouldn't be caged. Uh, yep. But on the flip side he's doing the same thing to himself. Um and and he's not alone. Uh Apparently Hopper's there with him, and yeah. when Hopper sees Egwene, he's <laughs> he he goes into protect mode. Yeah, uh, he 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 goes into protect mode for Perrin, and Perrin is able to. I, I don't know if Perrin called him off or if Egwene just got out of there quick enough before anything could happen. But, I think uh, Egwene just got out of there quick enough. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know Perrin. I know Perrin spoke to him and was like, "Hopper, no." Um, yeah. But we don't really see anything after that. Egwene just gets out of there and uh, finds herself somewhere else. Um, yep. And um, as I mentioned before, finds herself with uh, out in the wilderness somewhere and uh, runs across Rand, who is. Uh, Dealing with his own stuff, <laughs> isn't yeah, he? You could say that. Yeah. 
Um, he is he he's been having some dreams. <laughs> yeah, and none of them good. Yeah, apparently none of them good, and it leads him to, you know, when he sees Egwene, he thinks that it's just another, uh, another version of the dreams that he's been having. Yeah. So, which you want to explain the dreams that he has been having? He does not give exact details here, other than we well we know. He's had things that have come to him appearing to be his mother and his father. His mother tried to give him honey cakes that were laced with poison. Right. His father tried to stab him through the heart with a knife. Like, basically, he's been having things or dreams that these people that he loved are coming, but then they're always just people in disguise that are trying to kill him. Yeah. And so he thinks Egwene is one of those. Right. And, and and his thought is, this is all Baalzaman's doing. Correct. Baalzaman is trying to trick him, and he's not having it. Yeah. Uh, he's not having it at all. Um, did he... Did he try to fight, fight back, or... Yeah, because Egwene makes the stupid mistake. Uh, she... And That's right, is, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Egwene is really stupid here. Um, no offense to people who like Egwene, but <laughs> uh, you know she's sitting there. She's trying to convince him that she's Egwene, and she's not. And so, what does she decide to do? Oh, he's upset. He's paranoid. He thinks I'm a bad guy. So I'm going to attack him with the power because that's going to make everything better. That's going to help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So obviously, uh, Rand. <laughs> you know, strikes back. Uh, I mean, who, who, who wouldn't? Yeah. Especially if you're in the, the state of mind that he's in and someone yeah. who you think is an enemy, uh, tries to bind you with the power. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't blame him. <laughs> I, I would probably do the same thing. That's for sure. Um, yeah. But fortunately, again, she's able to get out of there before there's any harm done, at least to her. We don't know what happened with Rand, but um, she's okay. But I was really struck um, after she escaped that scenario. Yeah, she kind of starts thinking about, you know, what she had seen. And then uh, it says she, she took another long breath to calm herself. The only way to help him is to gentle him, she muttered. That, yeah. to me, I mean, that was such a heavy thought. Um, you know, especially with everything we saw in the last few chapters with her, um, you know, when she was in the testing Tirangriol and her as the Omerlin refusing to gentle him. And now she has this thought that that's the only way that uh, he could possibly be helped. Um, yeah, I don't know. But in the that... same breath, she also says she could never do it. Yeah, um, and I kind of wonder. May- maybe she does believe it to an extent, but I-, I have to wonder, especially knowing what we know about Egwene, how much she actually believes that, and yeah. how much of that was just, you know, desperate thought in the moment. I. Uh, 
I think this is just me talking, but I think due to her experiences in the Terrongriol, um, I think she has convinced herself at this point that, and she's, she's, I think Egwene has fully bought in to the Aes Sedai Kool-Aid that the dragon, Ooh. like that men go mad Men shouldn't channel. Like I think she's a hundred percent. Like she loves Rand. She she yeah. can't bring herself to gentle him, but I think she has come to the realization that somebody needs to. Yeah, wasn't that um, a fear that Rand had at one point? That like yeah. the next time he saw Egwene, she would want to gentle him. Yeah. Oh. And I think she does at this point. She can't bring herself to do it. But I think at this but point, she... Egwene sees that that, despite, I think she's of the same mindset that probably I would say 95% of the Aes Sedai are, even though he's the dragon and the prophecy says he has to face the Dark One and to do that he would need to be able to channel, yeah. they've ingrained themselves for so many thousands of years that men channeling is horrible, disastrous, madness, craziness. She has fully bought into that idea. So despite the fact that he's the dragon, despite the fact that she's her friend, she thinks the world will be better if he was gentled. Well, that that's that's heavy, um, especially yeah. coming from Egwene. And uh, I don't know. There's there's a part of me that was hoping that she still had some hope that maybe there I was another way. Yeah, I don't um, think she does. I think she's just knows that in her heart she couldn't bring herself to do it. Okay. But I, I'd be wrong. I mean, and if listeners, if you're Egwene fans and you think I'm wrong, let us know. But uh, yeah. I hey, stand firmly on, on my thoughts here. There's got to be another way. There's got to be something that can be done. Uh, shall we move on to the Stone of Tear? I believe that's where we are headed. Or at least I'm pretty sure that's where we're at. And uh, yeah. at least that's where Egwene finds herself um, in the place that I believe we've had described before. We know it's the heart of the stone. Um, yeah. And a, I think it was like a crystal-like sword shimmering overhead. Of course, we're pretty sure that that's Kalendor waiting yep. to be grasped by the dragon reborn and uh, but Egwene's not alone um there is an ugly old woman there who seems to think she knows Egwene that she has served Egwene's family her entire life um which is Weird. I don't know who she thinks she's talking to. Uh, her name is Sylvie. Uh, has that name come up anywhere before? Nope. So that, that's a brand new name. Okay. For some reason, it was it just felt familiar to me. Hmm. But um, I, I would maybe I, I don't know. Um, as far as I, I can say, recall, this is the first time we've seen the name Sylvie. Uh, okay. I'm I'm not I'm not doubting you. I'm just I. I'm just wondering. Um, I couldn't think of any specific instance either. Oh, I don't trust her. <laughs> yeah. 
I hate to say that about an old woman, but I don't trust her. <laughs> um, first of all, just this story that she's telling uh, doesn't seem to add up. I don't know who she thinks she's talking to, but it doesn't fit what we know about Egwene. And um, the thing that really put me off was she used the phrase the great lord which mm -hmm. to me felt like something that someone who was a dark friend would use to refer to the dark one you know if she was on the side of the light i feel like she would have said something else like the father of lies or you know the the dark one or something along those lines, but no, she uses the phrase the great Lord. And I'm not sure I've ever heard anybody good to use that term. So that threw me off. You know, a point that I want to bring up, do you not find it a little bit suspicious how quickly Egwene just starts listening to this woman and doesn't like she for a second wonders who this is and then she just kind of lets Sylvie go on her little tyroid and asks questions. She's not a, she's remarkably unsuspicious. <laughs> well, of course, who's going to be suspicious of a little old woman? <laughs> I'm just saying it, it's, it seems odd to me. Uh, and I have a feeling I know why, but again, now that you mention it, it does seem rather odd, and I don't know if you're hinting at maybe it should feel a little familiar, <laughs> <laughs> based on I recent mean, experiences that Egwene has had. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say this right from the get-go, I, I have my theory about who this really is, uh, yeah. and I don't... I don't. I don't think um, it's any secret. Uh, you know, I, I don't think. I don't think it's veiled very much. But I mean, the first person that pops into my mind is this is once again Lanfear in disguise. Yeah. Uh, so I could be. I could be wrong. Um, but it just all of it just feels too convenient. She knows an awful lot about uh, a lot of things. She knows a lot about the prophecies. She knows a lot about the politics of Tyr. Um, she's definitely not just a uh, simple old serving woman. Yeah. Now, and there, there are two theories as to who Sylvie is. Uh, and I think you're pretty close to one of them. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, what does Sylvie... Uh, Explain to Egwene here. Um, I don't know. Why Once don't we you get tell past, me? you know, the whole mocking <laughs> the Dark One thing being a good old time and, you know, how it, it's fun to make fun of Balzaman and Ishamael. Uh, why don't you tell me? <laughs> well, uh, she basically is just going to introduce uh, Egwene to Kalendor. Yeah. And what it is, and explain what Calendor is. Well, she doesn't come out and say it, but she does kind of 
guide Egwene, and then Egwene decides to do a little poking and prodding of her own. What does she discover? Yeah, I, I picked up on that when she starts kind of poking at it with the power. She realizes that the uh, the barrier, I guess you could call it, was made from both uh, Sidar and Sidene, the male mm-hmm. and female halves of the power. Um, mm-hmm. Or I guess I should reverse that. Female half Sidar and then the male half Sidene, uh, which was interesting. Um and really, the only reason she knows is because there are parts of it that are pretty much um, blank to her. Like, she can't yeah. really sense what it is. And so she she makes the logical conclusion that, oh, it must be Sidar or Sidene, since, um, since I can't sense yep. it. Um, so, yeah, there's that, that she, uh, she recognizes. Um, and then Which someone is, starts to approach. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Now, I was just going to say, it is interesting that the barrier is constructed of both the male and female half, because that would make it one of the final things that was done with the male and female half. Because right. the male's half, like, this is basically something that would have had to have been done right at the beginning of the breaking, almost. Yeah. Because after Before, that, there were no sane men. Right, um, right. Just like we saw with the Eye of the World. So, it, it's just interesting, these Aes Sedai, the world was literally just exploding and being destroyed around them, and they took the time to make the Eye, and then to secure Kalendor in this way. Uh, it involved a lot of planning and forethought, um, but I would imagine they probably, you know, we've talked about like Elida has the foretelling and stuff like that. Yeah. I think that the age of legends, I said, I had a lot better grip on that because they were, <laughs> they were laying a whole lot of breadcrumbs and putting a whole lot of things into motion. Right. Way, way, way in advance. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, that, that just also raises the question of what else is out there from that time period. Yeah. Um, yep. maybe we'll find out in the future. Uh, but anyway, somebody is approaching and apparently someone who, uh, comes to stare at Kalendor often in, in this, I guess in this version of the stone of tear, this, uh, Teleron Riyadh version of the stone of tear. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious as to who it might be. I, I guess, um, you know, odds are probably pretty heavy that it could be Rand, but is it possible there could be somebody else that's coming pining after this sword that's not a sword? I would I venture know. to say it is not Rand. So um, you don't think it's because, Rand? Because, no, and the, my reason for this is we have not seen any evidence yet that Rand can dreamwalk. So when Rand visits the Stone of Tear or he sees Kalendor, in my opinion, that is specifically in his own dream. Okay. Where they are right now is actually in the world of right. dreams. Right. So they are, 
Egwene right now is standing in basically think of it as like the mirror, the reflection of right. the actual stone of Tear. When Rand goes there or sees it, it's just something that is constructed in his own dream. He's not okay. actually in the world of dreams. Okay, that that makes sense then. Okay, so so yeah, that opens up the the greater possibility that this is somebody else, not Rand. So I, I I'll, I'll yeah. buy that and I'll uh I'll run with it. So that's that's all right with with me. Um, and once this figure approaches, we don't know who it is. Uh, oh, we know we it's to him. So yeah, we know it. We know it's a male. Uh, we don't get to see who it is. Um, and by the way that Sylvie is acting, um, maybe it's a good thing that he didn't see them. Um, yeah. And that ultimately, Sylvie basically pushing Egwene <laughs> as far away as she can get. And that's ultimately where Egwene wakes up. Um, but it's not that simple, is it? No. Can you explain what happens there? Cause I was a little bit puzzled by it. Okay. So step one, Egwene, Sylvie wants Egwene to leave. Egwene wants to leave. Egwene realizes that in all of their planning and thinking about, let's go visit the world of dreams, nobody ever thought, how the heck do you leave? <laughs> so she's got no idea how to wake up. And then we get this almost, uh, <laughs> you see this little little thing with Sylvie, when, she re- when Egwene is realized about not knowing how to leave. Sylvie clicks in on it and says, you don't know the way out. Sylvie said flatly, <laughs> then with a near whisper, ingratiating and mocking all at once, an old retainer who felt she could take liberties. Oh, my lady, this is a dangerous place to come into if you don't know the way out. Come, let poor old Sylvie take you out. Poor old Sylvie will tuck you safe in your bed, my lady. Uh, and then what does Sylvie do? But she gets Egwene out with pain. Yeah. So throat-wrenching, blood-curdling pain. Yeah, Egwene wakes up screaming. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, so Sylvie ain't so nice. Just (laughs) just chewing in on that. Yeah. Uh, You know, that's definitely... Here's the thing. So we know from Varen that things that happen in the world of dreams, when you're there with that Terangrial, when you're there present in the actual world of dreams, not just in a dream, that things that happen to you there can have lasting consequences. I think what has just happened to Egwene smells of... uh, someone using the power to inflict pain without leaving any physical marks. And, and that's what woke her up was, uh-huh. was the pain. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that, 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 that makes it make more sense. And I, I definitely confirms my suspicions, uh, more about who Sylvie might be. Uh, <laughs> yep. but, um, but once, once Egwene is awake, there are some decisions that, have to be made and um 
long story short is they decide that they're going to go to tier and spring the trap. Um, that, you know, they're not going to wait or they're not going to wait around forever for the Amerlin to make the next move. They're going to go and take things, um, into their own hands. Um, ultimately deciding that, uh, if they haven't heard from the Amerlin by like, I think lunchtime the next day, they're out of there. Yep. So we're headed off to tier, but not before, uh, taking care of a little bit of business for Elaine. Uh, she wants to send a letter to her mother, uh, letting her know that she is out of the tower. Um, by order, she's going to say by order of the Amerlin, <laughs> which is not true, but, um, yeah, but just so that when Morgays hears the rumors or hears that Elaine is out of the tower again, she won't fly off the handle and possibly try to start a war with Tarvalin. So, yeah, except that the very letter she's sending is basically going to say, by the way, I'm not safe, and it's by the Auburn's own orders that I'm not safe anymore. <laughs> so, uh, she's, she honestly, thinks, I think that letter is worse than no news. <laughs> yeah. Well, she thinks, I guess, better to better for more gays to hear it from her than to hear it through the grapevine. Um, I think she vastly underestimates her mother (laughs) (laughs) which in a way she's still gonna kind of hear it through the grapevine because they got to get somebody who can who would deliver that letter to came um it just so happens um we might have the perfect candidate which (laughs) Nynaeve realizes as they're all trying to go to sleep that night so i think that'll carry us into chapter 28 if you're ready for that yes sir All right. Chapter 28, A Way Out. Nynaeve, Egwene, and Elaine visit Matt, hoping to persuade him to carry a letter to Camelin for Elaine. But Matt cannot leave the city by order of the Amarlin seat. Little does Matt know that the three accepted have just the ticket to get him out of the city and on his way. Uh, This is a short chapter. Uh, not a whole lot that happens here, but uh, it's a it's kind of a fun chapter. <laughs> uh, for one thing, we're we're back in Matt's head again, that, which that's always fun, and um, you do get this uh, little bit of uh, moments of levity between uh, Matt and the three women during this uh, during this exchange, but um, Matt. <laughs> I love what he said though when they first uh, when they first showed up and you know they're trying to be like acting like they're concerned but Matt Matt sees right through that and he, I like this <laughs> quote this this quote that he has that he learned uh, from his father one pretty woman means fun at the dance two pretty women means tr- two pretty women mean trouble in the house three pretty women mean run for the hills <laughs> and, and and first of all i would just like to point out that did, did matt just call nynaeve pretty to her face <laughs> i feel like once upon yeah. a time that is something that matt would not have even dreamed of doing he didn't even want to think of nynaeve as pretty yeah uh, and now he's saying it to her face 
Um, the other thing that really stands out to me in this chapter is the different approaches that all the women have in trying to convince Matt to do this. Um, yeah. First of all, I like that through it all, it kind of seems like Egwene knows that, you know, just be straight with him. Just come out and say it. Um, but the others have other strategies. Elaine tries smiling at him uh, and appealing to him as a man of Andor. That didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and But Nynaeve's strategy, on the other hand, she hers is... Um, uh, a little bit um, twofold, I guess. First of all, there's guilt. She kind of guilt trips him a little bit that he should be grateful yeah, that they cared for him while he was sick. Him, they brought him to yeah. Tarvalin and Yeah. Yeah. She also appeals to his adventurous side, though, knowing, I mean, she knows Matt um, probably better than almost anyone in the room except maybe Egwene. And uh, so she knows the idea of getting out of Tarvalin would appeal to him. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be hard to do with if Matt can't get off the island. Yeah, and that's Matt's whole whole point. He's like, and he's straight up just trying to be honest with them, and they just think he's trying to like weasel out of it or or be a stick in the mud. And he's like, no, literally, I I can't. <laughs> You know, I literally I, can't. You know <laughs> yeah. He's like, huh. you know what? If I could, I'd love to. I'd carry your letter, but I can't. I, I, I'd, Except, I'd carry you laying on my back. <laughs> yes. I love that. Uh, yeah. and, he, and Elaine's indignation about it, too, is hilarious. Right. Uh, women Ooh. have no sense of humor. <laughs> At yep. least that's what Matt thought. Um, yep. For the record, I do not agree with Matt on that regard, but. <laughs> um, y'all tell my so, wife yeah, I said it, that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah um, it, it is in my opinion it is very interesting how the different women try to manipulate him in different ways and that it to me it it shows in my opinion these girls, all three of them, and this is something I think that will run for a long time, is the three women here have a fundamental misunderstanding of who Matt is and just and and how to deal with him. Like they they yeah. approach Matt with this theory that they have to manipulate. I think they have spent too much time with the Aes Sedai at this point. All they have to do for, with Matt is just be straightforward, tell him what's going on, ask for his help. Instead, mm. they come up with this circuitous scheme to try and sweet talk and manipulate him into and Matt even notices and you know mentions the fact that they're acting like I said I. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's something that constantly they I think Matt is very underestimated uh by these girls. Uh, Nynaeve just simply views him as a troublemaker because that's, you know, he was the troublemaking kid in the village. Egwene, yeah. very much the same, and Elaine is just going off what they've told them. Uh, so I feel I like know. they, I think they I, short sell Matt. I feel like they kind of do that with a lot of the men in their lives. They do. Um, uh, and they're getting I worse think about a, it, honestly. Which, which I, I think <laughs> is a theme that 
really goes back all the all the way to the beginning of book one, where we saw the dynamics of the village council and the women's circle in Emmons Field. Yeah. Um, but you know, maybe maybe more so with Matt, just because of you know the Matt that they know, or at least the Matt that Egwene and Nynaeve knew was very immature. Yeah. Very much, you know, the jokester, you know, but this is a this is a different Matt. Yeah. He's he's not not saying that he won't still have some of that uh playfulness that he once had, but um he's not the same. No. Carrying the dagger and experiencing the things that he has gone through has changed him and has added a I would say has matured Matt in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, past, I, agree. I think they are still just remembering him as the village youth. Right. Um, right. And they haven't honestly, honestly, I understand because they haven't had the opportunity to really see any other sides to him. He's right. been right. raving and sick and dying and, um, and they weren't there for most of it anyways. Rand yeah. was. Uh, so I understand where they're coming from. I just think, from Matt's perspective, it it is they're selling him short. Um, and I, you made up an interesting point about the, and I wanted to bring this up. You were talking about the village council and the women's circle and everything like that. In my opinion, here, and it is one of the things that is a primary theme throughout the entire series with Robert Jordan. Um, so the world of the Wheel of Time, at least starting out. It's very opposite of ours because of the men going mad when they channel. The most powerful people in the world are the women. Uh, It is very much a matriarchal society on a whole as opposed to our normal society that we're used to. What I believe the big – one big point that Robert Jordan tries to get across throughout the entire series is that that's not any better. Right. Having the world led and the women in charge doesn't get you any better result than when the men were in charge. Mm -hmm. What does create a better world is when they work together. Yeah. And Robert Jordan will make that point very clear throughout the series, especially when we discover that – and they've talked about this a little bit – but the best and most wonderful things that were ever done in the Age of Legends – were only possible when the men and women work together. Right, right. So this is playing into that. It's showing that dichotomy, that how women and men in this world think of each other differently and approach things differently, and they have such a hard time understanding each other sometimes because of the power dynamics and because of the social upbringing. Uh, the women are basically taught in this world from the time they're kids that the women need to take charge and like, (laughs) you know, the men are gonna, you gotta have a man around to lift a heavy thing and to do this and that, but make sure that you've got the women there to make sure they see sense. (laughs) Like they are raised as young girls up to believe that they basically have to manipulate men into doing what they should because a man won't do it on his own unless a woman's there to make sure pulling the strings in the background. Hmm. Uh, it's like every woman in this world is trained to be an Aes Sedai from the time they're a baby. <laughs> uh, even the ones that can't channel. 
So right. it, it's very much playing into that here in this scene between Matt and the girls. Okay. Yeah, I definitely see that and I look forward to, uh, I guess, seeing more of that dynamic as we go forward and exploring that a little bit more. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. Sharing sharing that insight with us and uh, it's definitely something to be on the lookout for. Uh, I do love how this chapter ends with them um, <clears throat> just getting to uh, just have a little bit of time together, talking yeah. about home, you know, kind of reminiscing, things like that. I do love that moment at the end and <laughs> all of the um, the women share in the laugh when Matt says, oh, if, you, if you ever need me, just, just call and I'll be there, <laughs> yep. which we've, we've discussed before, but, um, uh, well now Matt has his way out, uh, or at least so it seems at this moment. So, um, any final thoughts this week? Um, just that I love the very, very end of this after the girls leave. Uh, Matt, you know, fall, his eyes fall on the letter from the Omerlin and from Elaine, and he sa it says, he danced a little caper in the middle of the flowered carpet, <laughs> came when to, to see and a queen to meet. <laughs> Your own words will free me, Omerlin. <laughs> Get yeah. me away from Celine, too. And then it's, I can almost see him dancing this little jig. And then all of a sudden at the end of it, he says, you'll never catch me. <laughs> <laughs> you'll never catch uh, Matt Coffin. <laughs> you know, it's so almost, it's like this little spry bit of, little guy jumping around doing a yeah. jig. And I just, it just cracks me up. A L little bit of the old <laughs> Matt comeback. Yeah. Oh, right. Um, uh, well, women are the worst. Uh, no, oh. I'm, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> that is a, a a completely in jest. Please do not send us hateful emails um, or, know, or comments or anything like that. <laughs> no, um, women are the the best. Um, um, you know, <laughs> despite the things that we just discussed, um, you know, uh, sometimes us men um, uh, wouldn't make it. Uh, at least not it not in my house. So. <laughs> um, I guess that's going to do it for us this week. And so we want to thank you, our listeners for joining us and remind you that, uh, we do release new episodes each Tuesday. Now there will not be a new episode next week. Um, I will be out of town and so we're not going to be able to record that week. So we won't be releasing an episode either. So, uh, just be mindful of that, but don't forget about the contest. Make sure you go in and uh, do all the things we said at the beginning of the episode. Uh, like us, like like our social media, comment, share, all of that stuff. So you can enter that contest and uh, be in the drawing to get a cool gift from us. Uh, in the meantime, we'd encourage you to uh, subscribe or follow on uh, whatever podcast uh, app you're using. Uh, if you can, leave us a rating and a review. And as far as the social media where you can find us, we are on Twitter at Wind Beginning, Instagram at The Wind Was a Beginning. We're on Facebook, uh, The Wind Was a Beginning, a Wheel of Time podcast. Still working on YouTube, which is uh, by the same name, but uh, be on the lookout for that. Maybe something going on there uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, we're on TikTok at Wind Beginning 
And then you can also email us at thewindwasabeginning at gmail.com. Stephen, what are we discussing, or what are we going to try to discuss next week or next episode? Next episode, we're going to try and cover chapters 29 through 31. So you've got a little extra time, so no excuses. Y'all get caught <laughs> up and be ready to uh, jump on there with us when we come back. Absolutely. You've got two weeks to read those those yep. three chapters. And that episode will also be um, the last one where we're going to be announcing the contest. So um, yep. and that'll be your last episode that you can enter on. Uh, because it'll be released right before, a few days before the deadline. So be mindful of that, and uh, come back and join with us on the next episode. Uh, in the meantime, hope you have a wonderful week, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. See you, folks.